Hello, Jimbo speaking. Everyone, this is your announcer, Riri, welcoming you to this strange and zany listener-supported place we call the Hello Jimbo Speaking Podcast. Today, Jimbo has a full lineup with one of his super impactful stories from the front lines of ministry and a brand new Laugh with a Punch one-minute comedy sketch from Lifeline Productions. Oh yeah, this wouldn't be Jimbo's place if he didn't open up that old head of his and see what spills out in the form of a provocative teaching. Who knows? If you keep listening, this just might be the place where your life gets turned inside out and upside down. Hey Jimbo, why don't you fill in our listeners with the details? Sure, Riri. Today you will hear the second of two stories from the front lines of ministry made up of multiple vignettes from connections I have made with youth at our local juvenile detention center. As I said last week, every time I hear these, each young person's face pops up in my mind. I thank God for what he does, even when I can't follow up with these hurting youth. Being a seed planter isn't that bad when you keep in mind that God is the one who really gives the increase. Then we will listen to a one-minute comedy skit with a punch entitled, You Have to Get Hired. Did you ever notice how some people try to be right with God without letting him be Lord of their lives? Do you believe the grace of God neutralizes the commands of the new covenant? Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace. I call it easy believism. Finally, all the stuff that has been boiling up in this old head of mine spills out as we continue our first subject in the getting down to the nitty-gritty section of our study on cultural Christianity versus kingdom Christianity. As we continue to look at becoming and growing disciples of Jesus, we will look at how to share the gospel of the kingdom of God. You may think you understand this, but I bet most only understand the gospel of easy believism. You know, Riri, as I said last week, these studies are so important because one major reason the modern conventional culturized church has fallen flat on its face is most of us have gotten off on the wrong foot. To bring about the radical revitalization of conventional Christianity, most of us have to go back to the beginning. After all, as I often say, this radical revitalization will only happen one person at a time. Hey, Jimbo, can Haha have private talk with Riri? Sure, special lady. I'll just go out of the sound booth and get some desk work done. You okay, haha? Oh, Riri, things are so much different. Hershey and haha moved into new place, and haha miss all Hershey's old friends. Hershey, haha, and Hershey's friends all had so much fun together, and now all Hershey and haha do is sit and watch TV. But. Hershimer told Jimbo you guys needed more room and privacy with being married and all the babies coming. That was Hershey's idea. Oh, I had no problem with living with all Hershey's friends. But Hershey, uh, oops, I, I mean, Hershimer said you guys needed privacy. That just sound like male of the species. But, Riri, remember Hershey and Haha changed size. Hershey and Haha always had file folder Hershey and Haha could crawl into when Hershey and Haha want to be alone. Never thought of that, Haha. <laughs> and Haha never want big place. <laughs> Too much to clean. Ah, miserable Riri. Aw, it'll be okay, Haha. You're going through a lot of changes all at once. 
Do your hormones change in pregnancy as mine did? Hormones! Hormones! Hormones did all you from Hershimer! He blame everything on hormones! <laughs> Wow, 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 wow. I'm sorry, little friend. Men can be a pain in the you-know-where, can't they? You said it, Riri. But what a you-know-where. I think I'll let that one go. I'll tell you what. I will have Jimbo speak to Hershimer and see if he can get to the bottom of all this, okay? Oh, Riri. Riri always know what to do and how to make Ha-Ha feel better. Glad I can help, little lady. But I have to get the show on the road, okay? Okay. Go for it, Riri. Do your thing, girl. As I said before, folks, this is that strange and zany listener-supported place we call the Hello, Jimbo Speaking podcast. Your host is Jim Warren, author, motivational speaker, pastor, teacher, high-risk youth advocate, and life coach. But most of all, he's an all-around wild and crazy guy. So, without any further ado, from behind a cheap microphone in the Dynamic Life Development Studios, oh, okay, by now I know you know it's just his spare bedroom, in the thriving metropolis of Wheatfield, Indiana, okay, I guess if you count all the heads of corn and soybeans, you can call it a metropolis? Here's Jimbo! Let's get going. Before we get to this week's story from the front lines of ministry and the one-minute comedy skit with a punch from Lifeline Productions, let me remind you of just a few important things. When you listen to the upcoming stories about a few of my friends I have met in the Juvenile Detention Center, please consider clicking the support button and choose either the $0.99, cent, $4.99, cent, or $9.99 cent monthly option to support my coaching discipling ministry with high-risk youth. Also, please leave a voice comment so I know what you think of our podcasts. Remember to visit the Hello Jimbo Speaking website at www.jimbospeaking.org. Here you can learn all kinds of information about this show, make one-time or larger monthly contributions to my work with higher-risk youth, and find all the episodes of the podcast, transcripts of the Inside Jimbo's Head segment, and videos of our live Sunday night broadcast, The Digging Deeper Cafe. Speaking of the live Sunday night broadcast, you will find it on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms. Here you can discuss the Inside Jimbo's Head segment of this podcast with me and some of my friends. That's right. I know you have questions and not a few comments, and here's where you can get to share them. On Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Central and 9 p.m. Eastern, my right-hand man, the voice from the pew, Joel Heim, joins me with a special guest. Most of the time, these special guests will be voices from behind the pulpit. Each week, we switch between Dr. James Randolph from Advancing Christ Kingdom Global Ministries or Kevin Berkey from Mulberry Tree Ministries in Coutts, Indiana. You can find these Digging Deeper Cafe live broadcasts on either the Hello Jimbo Speaking Facebook page or the Hello Jimbo Speaking YouTube channel. So, let me hit this button and get us back on track with the story from the front lines of ministry entitled, Meet Some of My Kids Part 2, and the one-minute comedy skit with a punch from Frontline Productions entitled, You Have to Be Hired. And now... Stories from the front lines of ministry. 
This episode's Stories from the Front Lines of Ministry is a continuation from the last episode. In fact, I am using the same background music. Today, I'm going to share with you another series of short vignettes that took place in the lives of four young people as we sat in the visitation room of the local juvenile detention center. As I shared last week, the best part of my day at JDC is after my Motivational Life Bible studies when young men and ladies ask to meet with me individually. Often, they will ask me to come back on a weekday to visit them. That is when God is often able to move in a very special way in their lives. As I mentioned in the last episode, each young person I have met during these individual one-on-one interactions have become special friends of mine, even if I never see them again. How do they remain special friends of mine if I never see them again? Remember the answer? They all stay on my prayer list. Donovan is my special guy. None of the detention officers know what to do with Donovan. He is different from any young person with whom they have worked. He believes in nonviolence. He reads voraciously. He has very long hair and describes himself as a bohemian. He is a flashback to the 60s for me. Donovan talks in terms of things being moral and immoral. I have never heard that in JDC before. He talks about art, music, and poetry. After he attended my class for the second time, he asked to meet with me. He told me everything I talked about he believed. I told him everything I shared came from Jesus, yet he told me he believed in free spirituality. I asked him to define what he meant by those words, and he tried. Then we talked about Jesus and what it meant to be his disciple. Donovan looked me in the eye and then asked, Jimbo, do you think if maybe I was sitting under a tree with my poetry and guitar playing my music back in Jesus' day, and Jesus walked by? Do you think he would ask me to follow him? Do you think he would ask me to be one of his disciples? That was three weeks ago. The next time I visited Donovan, he had read all four Gospels. A few days later, I visited him again, and he had read the entire New Testament three times. Our discussions now are always about Jesus and what he meant when he said... I have seen Ned in JDC many times. Many of the young people I work with come and go only to return again and again and again. Ned sat across from me in the visiting room. Jimbo, I'm sorry I never contacted you when I got out last time. Would you still be my coach when I get out next month? I smiled. We talked. I prayed. I continue to pray he will take the right step this time and contact me. Mac asked to meet with me for the first time. You could tell he was distraught. He was rambling on about many things, but I did catch that he had been out on a transport earlier that day. I asked where he had been. He spoke of Angel's funeral. I asked him who Angel was to him. 
With tears streaming down his face, he told me Angel was his eight-month-old daughter. It takes a lot to stun me, but I was stunned. Mac was a tough street kid. I knew his reputation for violence. Yet the young man who sat before me sat devastated. I asked about his relationship with Angel's mom. He began to weep even more painfully. Once he pulled himself together, he told me he had committed to her. They were living together. Then he was picked up by the police again and ended up back in JDC. Did you see her at the funeral this morning? I asked. Yeah, she told me she was dumping me. She told me she was in love with my best friend. Uncontrollable tears began to flow down the cheeks of this street-hardened kid. What do you say to that? We did not talk much after that. We sat and cried together. In JDC, we cannot touch. However, this time, I simply reached across the table and put my hand on top of his. He asked me to pray. I managed to choke out a few words. I promised him I would see him in two days. He was numb when I left. By the time I returned, the pain had regained a stronghold on him. When we talked, all he could do was cry, so I sat there and cried with him once again. The next time I returned, he was gone. He never contacted me after he left, so I have no idea where he is or how he is doing. However, the one thing I can do, I do regularly. I pray for him. When he sat down at the table in the visitation room, I knew he needed to talk. And boy, was I right. The first time we met, Ron did all the talking. That is, until the end of our time, or what was supposed to be the end of our time. At that point, I could feel a tear dripping down my cheek. Ron had shared about his dysfunctional family in the tough neighborhood where he grew up. And yes, that neighborhood was in Porter County, not Lake County. Those of you from this area will know what I'm talking about. There is just something about the stories I hear in the juvenile detention center that causes my eyes to well up with a few tears. When Ron noticed the tear dripping from my cheek, he looked me straight in the eye and got the most peculiar look on his face. Why the tear, Jimbo? I thought you were a man. Do you mind if I share something with you from the Bible, Ron? That's fine, Jimbo. I know it's kind of your thing. I mean, after all, that is why I asked you to meet with me. I smiled and turned to Matthew 23, 37 through 38 and read, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left you desolate. What does that mean, Jimbo? Ron asked. Well, my friend, Jesus had reached out to the people of Jerusalem many times, and most of them rejected him. He said they were desolate, which means they had nothing left inside of them. This made him cry. Is that why you had a tear dripping down your cheek, Jimbo? Yes, as you shared your story, I felt you and your family were so empty inside. Wow, Jimbo, that is just how I feel all the time. You cried for me like Jesus did for that city? Yes, Ron, 
Because Jesus controls my life, I often feel like he does for people who are missing out on all he has for them. Man, Jimbo, tell me more about this Jesus guy. And I did. We spent three hours together that day. A few times a detention officer checked on us to make sure everything was okay. And it was. At the end of our time, Ron and I had talked about all the counting the cost questions I usually share with people, and he was ready. As he yielded his life to Jesus and committed to be about the work of Jesus' kingdom, tears rolled down his face. Look at that, Jimbo. I cried. I never cry. Does that mean Jesus is now in control of my life? I just looked at him and smiled. We only met a few times once Ron was released and then his family moved out of the state. He told me he would contact me when he was settled, but I never heard from him again. I don't always feel this way when I don't hear from a young person, but in this case, I believe Ron is out there spreading seeds of Jesus' love to his family and many others as well. I'll be back in a moment. Excuse me, do we get paid every month or every other month? Actually, we get paid weekly. What? I've been here six weeks and I haven't received any money. Really? Well, you should talk to your boss. Oh, I don't have a boss. What do you mean you don't have a boss? I just come here every day and work. So far, no one's paid me one red cent. Talk about a lousy company to work with. Well, you can't just work here. What's the big deal? I know how to do the work. I'm doing the work. Why don't they just pay me? You have to be hired. Why don't you just apply for the job? I'm sure they'll hire you. They want people like you. Yeah, but then I'll have to listen to a boss and be accountable for my actions. If they want me, let them come to me on my terms. Are you trying to get to heaven on your own terms by being good or, quote, spiritual? According to the Bible, there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know Jesus? Another message from Lifeline Productions, located on the web at lifelinepro.com. goes. Sometimes I just can't stop it. That old head of mine has opened up and now everything is spilling out. So let's make use of some of that stuff and start looking at how to share the gospel of the kingdom of God. Remember Donovan from the stories from the front lines of ministry? I will never forget that young man. If I was sitting under a tree with my guitar and poetry, and if Jesus came walking by, do you think Jesus would call me to be one of his disciples? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If you have been infected by the easy believism of our day, you see discipleship as an option. Donovan did not. He knew that either you were a disciple of Jesus, had nothing to do with them, or worse, 
just listen to him or were one of the people trying to silence him. One part of the story that did not make it into the vignette was when Donovan, after reading through the entire New Testament three times, began to talk about religious people who think they are Christians. When you take the New Covenant seriously and not read into it from a preconceived religious standard or your native cultural standards, each leading to tons of excuses, you see things pretty clearly. Donovan sure did. You see, it's the guy from the one-minute comedy skit with a punch found out. You have to be hired to get the benefits. You can't just show up and go through the motions as though you have a job. In the culturized conventional church, we have many people who show up and think they are performing the work, but they do not belong to Jesus. Does that sound harsh? Think about what we learned about the attitude that is the norm for all Jesus followers from Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 10. Remember episodes 15, 16, and 17? How often do you see that in the church today? How about your life? Is that your normal attitude? Why is it so few even strive for such a lifestyle, let alone just live it? Could it be because Houston, we have a problem? As I have said before, if you can't walk to walk, don't talk to talk, because if your walk don't talk, your talk won't walk. Having a problem walking the walk? As I stated last week, maybe we need to go back to the beginning and relook at how we got started. Don't think so? Okay, just wait until the last segment of this Inside Jimbo's Head teaching. The one thing I do not like about the one-minute comedy skits with a punch is how they always tie accepting Jesus with going to heaven someday. Did you notice that huge problem? Of course, they were created to be played on Christian radio. If they did not follow the pattern of easy believism, they would more than likely not get played. Is that how you got started? You know, accepting Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die? If so, as we look at how to share the gospel of the kingdom of God, you may want to think of a redo. Does that offend you? I hope not. But if conviction is there, action must follow. In the last episode, we looked at three keys to becoming and making disciples of Jesus. We must keep these in mind as we begin to talk about how to share the gospel of the kingdom of God. First, we talked about the imperative of never separating our redemption from the kingdom of God. Why? The kingdom of God, the kingdom instituted during Jesus' earthly ministry and established on the cross, is the only purpose for our redemption. Have you ever asked yourself why so many culturized conventional Christians think they can live for the purposes espoused by their native culture and still be a follower of Jesus? Have you ever wondered why so many try to fit Jesus into their American lifestyle and feel totally justified in living in that manner? Every time I see this, people end up watering down Christianity, trying to make the round peg of the kingdom of God fit into our culture square hole. How? Excuse after excuse after excuse why they cannot live the life commanded by Jesus and his first followers through whom the new covenant was written. When our redemption's forgiveness of sins, when our redemption's victory over the power of sin, when our redemption's new purpose is separated from the present kingdom, we believe we can live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Many leaders have told me we have to live that way. 
As good religious people, we always add the caveat that living this way can happen as long as we live a morally accepted life, attend church, tithe, read our Bibles, and pray. Oh yes, and try our best. This line of reasoning generally adds that while this may not be God's will, He is satisfied. After all, God is a God of grace and mercy. If you believe such things, if you have cheapened God's grace and mercy, it is a sure bet that you are part of the problem, not a part of the solution. Oh, and you will never see that kind of thinking portrayed in the New Covenant. Only some people's systematized theology. Not separating redemption and the kingdom leads us to the second key we must always keep in mind when thinking about becoming or making disciples. We cannot separate discipleship from salvation. Salvation is about being transferred into the kingdom of God in this life and transferred out of the kingdoms of this world. This transference happens because we have been set free from the guilt of sin. Living as God's image bearers, living a righteous life happens because we have been set free from the power of sin. We also receive a new directive, the sole purpose of expanding the kingdom in the lives of other disciples and those who are not yet in Christ. With this understanding, it is easy to see why there is no authentic Christianity without living the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. This reality is why salvation and discipleship cannot be separated. Always remember, a student learns the teachings of their master. A disciple not only learns what the master teaches, but emulates every aspect of their master's life. In the conventional culturized church, we have many students but few disciples even where discipleship is taught. Remember the rationalistic intellectualism that has seeped from our native culture into the culture of conventional Christianity? Aha! Another reason, Houston, we may have a problem. These first two points bring us to the third and final key to becoming or making disciples, which we discussed in the last episode. This third key is how people must respond to the gospel of the kingdom of God if they are to become a disciple. There are three words used by the New Covenant to tell us how to respond to the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repent, believe, and baptize. However, these three words are so intricately linked, they should not and cannot be separated. To repent means to change one's mind and purpose so that a new way of living always follows the act of repentance. To believe means to have a firm foundational conviction that all God said and did, says and does, and promises to do is true and truthful, leading to a life of obedience. In other words, to believe means to have active faith. When a person repents and has active faith, the first act of obedience is to be baptized as a disciple of Jesus. There is no other way the New Covenant teaches us nor shows us by example to identify with Jesus as one's Lord and Savior. One can pray a prayer, but only water baptism brings one into identification with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Obviously, if one cannot be baptized, a simple prayer will suffice as seen in the thief's example on the cross. The perfect example of repentance and active faith is found in Paul's radical attitude and actions found in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 10. Paul's recognition of his partnership with Jesus and his kingdom, as well as his full, complete, intimate, experiential relationship with Jesus as his Lord, led to a very specific response. This response took place as a completed act in the past that continued to affect him in his present. Paul saw his past religious experience, his past cultural way of life, and the whole of everything in its entirety as a damage loss and a detriment to his life in Christ. Thus, Paul took authority over them and saw them as doggy-doo to be scraped off his shoe. 
This is repentance. Paul's faith brought him into a full, complete, intimate, experiential relationship with Jesus and the power of his resurrection. It also led him into a full, complete, intimate, experiential communion with the sufferings of Jesus, leading him into a life lived in conformity to Jesus' death. Is that what you see today when people pray the sinner's prayer? Now, I can hear you. Jim, these are things into which we need to grow. Boy, oh boy, do you need to listen to the next episode. For now, just realize that the way the verbs in these passages of Scripture were formed show us that these radical attitudes and actions were either something that was completed in the past and continued into Paul's life into his present, or something that was a continuous, habitual lifestyle in his present. And remember, we were all commanded to live as he lived in verse 17. Hey, I have a phrase I want you to tattoo on your mind. Ready? No more excuses. So, if this is what it takes to become or make a disciple, how should we share the gospel of the kingdom with those who are not in Christ? This is our question for the day. After all, the conventional culturized modern church results are not what we're looking for, are they? To answer the question, how should we share the gospel of the kingdom, I plan to share three areas with you. So far, we have looked at the principles behind the gospel of the kingdom. You should, by now, understand what makes up this gospel. We went over this in episodes number 10 and 11 and mentioned it in most of the episodes. But now we need to get down to some specifics. First, I want to share a kingdom gospel narrative with you. Then I will share with you some key aspects to keep in mind as you share this narrative. Finally, I will end this episode by going over my counting the cost questions I use as I share this narrative of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Remember back in episode 18 when we talked about the B-L-E-S-S lifestyle? In the last episode and this episode, we are discussing the second S, which stands for share. At some point in the relationships produced by your B-L-E-S-S lifestyle, your blessed lifestyle, you will have to share the gospel of the kingdom. The truth be told, you will be sharing parts of this narrative and the issues behind the counting the cost questions throughout your redemptive relationships as the Spirit gives you the opportunity. Notice I said, as the Spirit gives you the opportunity. You will never have to force-feed people either of these issues. The openings will develop as they see your radical attitude in actions as a disciple of Jesus. Normally, they will come as questions about why you do what you do or why you treat people the way you treat them. Here are the basics of the kingdom gospel narrative I share with people. The gospel of the kingdom begins with the creation of the cosmos. God created the cosmos as a reflection of himself. It displayed his attributes and shined forth with his glory, the representation of all that he is. However, after God created the earth and all that was to inhabit it, he formed a place, a garden, where he placed the pinnacle of his creation, the parents of all humankind. This garden, this kingdom is where God lived in the intimacy of communion with these special acts of creation. They were special because God created them in his image to be his image bearers. God breathed his own life into them, not created life. In humankind, God allowed his very character, a character of purity, love, and truth to be reproduced. Thus, they did not reflect his character as other parts of creation reflected his attributes. Humankind was created as bearers of his character, bearers of his divine nature. In other words, all of creation reflects all that God is, while humankind was created as a receptor of his divine life, his divine character, and thus lived according to his character. 
all of this was done with the chief purpose of glorifying God. As his image bearers, God gave the parents of humankind authority to spread his rule throughout all the earth. However, this authority was dependent upon their continued communion with him and their submission to him. Communion with God was the purpose of the first kingdom, the garden from which they were to spread his authority. This dependency and communion allowed them to continue to be his image bearers. By their very inbreathed nature, the parents of all humankind were like God, not simply reflectors of him. However, the one who lived in rebellion against God, his enemy, enticed and seduced the parents of humankind to rebel willfully against God. He persuaded them into disobedience to God's rule, disobedience to God's command. The result of this disobedience was threefold. First, the authority God invested in the parents of humankind was abdicated by their disobedience and transferred to God's enemy, the devil. This abdication made him the ruler of this world. Thus, a new kingdom was established in the creation. If you like, you can call it the evil empire. However, biblically speaking, it is called the kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of rebellion against God and his ways which flowed from his character. This new kingdom took on the characteristics of its new head, the character of rebellion against God. All of creation was transformed and became a part of this new kingdom of darkness. Creation also lost its full ability to reflect God's attributes, even though they still can be seen in the creation in a limited sense. However, the authority of this new kingdom of darkness was limited in the same way the authority of humankind was limited. Neither of these usurped the overall authority of God. Second, the parents of humankind lost their image-bearer nature and became spiritually dead to God. They took on the nature of the rebellious one. No longer under the authority of God, they became under the authority of the ruler of this world and continued to live in disobedience to God. Passions of their and their offspring's fallen state, including their own corrupted physical bodies, drove them farther from God and their fallen natures kept them from being God's image bearers. Instead, they became those who were deserving of only God's wrath because of their fallen nature and the behaviors it produced. Finally, that garden, the kingdom of communion where God lived in intimacy with the pinnacle of his creation was lost to the parents of humanity and their offspring. They and thus their offspring were separated from God. The sum of all of this is that God's kingdom in the cosmos where he ruled through his creation, not just over his creation, was lost. However, God's love, his desire to communicate all that he is to, in, and through his creation caused him to reach out to a specific group of people. This group of people started with Abraham and eventually became known as the children of Israel. Through these people, God would come to humankind as the Messiah, the one who would establish this renewed kingdom once and for all. He would set the pattern for the renewed kingdom he would establish through this specific group of people. Coming as the Messiah, God not only would establish the renewed kingdom, but prepared humankind to participate in this renewed kingdom. Through this completed work of the Messiah, the transformation of fallen humankind would bring them back to once again being God's image bearers. They would live in communion with him and in subjection to him. As his image bearers living in subjection and communion with him, renewed humankind would allow God once again to intimately rule through his creation, not just over his creation. 
Throughout the history of these chosen people, God would make conditional covenants with them, promising to establish his kingdom through them if they would stay obedient to him. However, throughout the history of God's interaction with these chosen people, a pattern developed. Obedience, the establishment of a physical kingdom pattern, disobedience, loss of the physical kingdom pattern, repentance, and the reestablishment of the lost kingdom pattern continuously took place. This pattern shows that the condition of being a part of God's kingdom was obedience and communion with him so that authority would only rest in his image bearers. No disobedient person or group of people could ever keep the authority God invested into them, for they could not be his image bearers. The key to the covenant God made with these chosen people was that the covenantal promise of the renewed kingdom was to Abraham and his seed. However, the term your seed did not mean the children of Abraham, eventually called the children of Israel. The term your seed was singular, meaning the Messiah. God never intended to establish the promised kingdom to a specific group of humankind, but to the Messiah, whose physical lineage would be through this chosen people. The lineage of the Messiah was not the only purpose of this chosen people, however. Remember, God's interactions with them served as a blueprint or a sketch of the reality that would come when the Messiah would appear. Thus, the kingdom and the special relationship as image-bearer, living in submission and communion with God while imbued with authority, would be open to all humankind once again. It would not be limited to one group or nation of people. Finally, after the continuous breaking of the covenant by those God had chosen as a pattern for the renewed kingdom, God sent the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. However, this Messiah was not just a man from the lineage of Abraham. He was not an inheritor of the fallen, rebellious nature of humankind. He was God himself, incarnated as a member of humanity. Thus, the Messiah was God's true image-bearer, having God's very divine nature and living in subjection to and communion with God as a willing servant. For this reason, God could anoint him with the full authority to bring and establish the kingdom lost through the fall of humanity. Thus, God worked through humankind in the Messiah to undo what was lost by and to humankind. Messiah Jesus did not establish this renewed kingdom as humankind established human governments, societies, and cultures. He did not establish God's government, society, and culture through force, but through a self-emptying, self-sacrificial act of obedient, extreme unselfishness. Obediently, Messiah Jesus went to the cross. On the cross, he accomplished two things. First, he established the renewed kingdom of God by defeating God's enemy through his willful act of obedience to God. This willful act of obedience alone overturned the willful disobedient act of the parents of humankind. Thus, upon the shoulders of Jesus rests this new government with a new society and a new culture. Second, Messiah Jesus won victory over the guilt of sin and victory over the power of sin for humankind. He did this by taking our sin and sinful natures into himself and bearing God's punishment in our place. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, sins are forgiven and old sinful natures have been put to death. No longer do those in Christ live under condemnation, nor do they live under the power of sin. They have been set free from slavery to sin, becoming slaves to righteousness. They become slaves to a lifestyle based on the thoughts, intents, and character of God. That is, they become once again God's image bearers. 
When Messiah Jesus had successfully established God's kingdom and prepared the way for humankind to return as God's image bearers, God raised him from the dead. Immediately after the resurrection of Jesus, he returned to the Father and was coronated as King of God's renewed kingdom. He was given full authority over all powers in heaven and earth, including human governments, societies, and cultures. This authority included authority over the devil and his kingdom of darkness. There is no authority over which Jesus does not reign, except for the persons of the Trinity with whom he reigns as a co-equal. He then returned to his first disciples, preparing them for the part they would play, as well as those who would come into the renewed kingdom. As God's image bearers in his renewed kingdom, their role was to be one of expanding the rule of Christ into the lives of those still held as prisoners in the kingdom of darkness. This expansion of God's rule, God's renewed kingdom, occurs in a very specific way. The good news of this renewed kingdom, complete with new governance, society, and culture, is to be demonstrated and heralded by disciples of Jesus. It is to be demonstrated as God's people live in communities where they commune with God and each other. These become the physical manifestation of the spiritual kingdom established by Messiah Jesus. As these communities demonstrate the reality of this renewed kingdom, they then proclaim that the renewed kingdom, the rule of God, has once again been established upon the earth. They also proclaim that the new way of living under God's rule has been prepared for all through the obedient sacrificial act of Jesus on the cross. When the message of the renewed kingdom is seen and heard, God's grace works repentance and active faith in those who yield their lives to the power of His grace. This grace-produced faith and its resulting salvation costs a person nothing. Jesus paid the full price for these things Himself. However, each fallen person must first carefully consider the cost of the changes that will take place in their life when they become a disciple of Jesus. As they receive a vision of the partnership Jesus is offering them with him and his kingdom, as well as the full, complete, intimate, experiential relationship they will have with him as Lord, the gift of repentance is granted. This gift of repentance causes them to consider their old religious way of life, their old cultural lifestyle, and the whole of all things in their entirety as damage lost and a detriment to that partnership and relationship. Their minds are changed, and they take on a new purpose. This new purpose becomes their sole purpose in life in such a way that they treat anything that stands in its way as animal excrement to be scraped off their shoes. Repentance inextricably becomes active faith, the meaning of the word believe. Through this active faith, people are reborn with God's very divine nature becoming their new nature. Their old sinful nature is put to death, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in them, empowering them to live as God's image bearers. They are raised to the position of sons in the renewed kingdom, giving them, as they work in community with others, the full responsibility and authority. This responsibility and authority are granted, allowing them to extend the renewed kingdom into the lives of those who are still under the influence of the kingdom of darkness. This new responsibility and authority are granted them only as they live in communion with God and his people and live in subjection to him and his new covenant. In other words, they must live as his image bearers, subject to him and living in communion with him and his people. 
this lifestyle and its authority and responsibility become the sole purpose of their lives. This active faith brings all who yield to God's rule into a full, complete, intimate, experiential relationship with their King Jesus. It also brings them into a full, complete, intimate, experiential relationship with the power of Jesus' resurrection. This power of his resurrection sets them free from the power of sin. Finally, active faith brings them into a lifestyle based upon a full, complete, intimate, experiential communion with Jesus' sufferings, being made like him in his death. In other words, they live and minister in the same way Jesus established the renewed kingdom. They live and minister through self-emptying, self-sacrificial, obedient acts of servanthood. This new life and ministry drive Jesus' disciples into dangerous acts of unselfishness, demonstrating God's love for fallen humanity. Finally, repentance and active faith drive a person to identify with Jesus and the other members of the Trinity through water baptism. This identification with Jesus and the members of the Trinity becomes the sole basis of their lives. It is so strong, so real that the persons of the Trinity become the persons in whom they live and move and the ones to whom their power and influence are subject. With the establishment of God's renewed kingdom, there now exists two kingdoms in the cosmos. However, the power of the kingdom of darkness is limited, for it has been defeated when Jesus died on the cross, establishing God's renewed kingdom. Nonetheless, those who are part of this defeated kingdom continue to be held prisoners. They can be set free if they avail themselves to the good news of the kingdom of God by responding through grace-produced repentance, active faith, and water baptism. All people who become a part of God's established kingdom become soldiers fighting the battle of the ages to expand God's rule to those still held captive. This battle is the purpose behind them being raised to the position of sons in God's kingdom, taking on the responsibility and authority of this renewed kingdom. However, this battle is not fought as human battles are fought. Those who are a part of the kingdom established by Jesus must expand it to those prisoners of the kingdom of darkness in the same way Jesus established the renewed kingdom. They must fight this battle from a self-emptied, self-sacrificial, obedient servant's heart. These battles are won through dangerous acts of unselfishness, not through the power of human authority. They do this not with the weapons of the fallen kingdom, but through the spiritual weapons of God's reestablished kingdom, which reflect and point to God's glory. As God's soldiers, they no longer get involved in civilian affairs, but must focus on building up one another and bringing the good news of God's reestablished kingdom to those held prisoner. Why? They are not a part of human governments and societies and cultures, but are now a part of God's rule, God's government, God's society, and God's culture. When Jesus finished preparing and commissioning his disciples to expand his completed work, he returned to the Father. There he reigns and oversees the work of his disciples. At some point, the work of his disciples will come to an end. Jesus will return to his people. Those who have refused to become a part of his kingdom, living under his rule, will be judged with the head of their kingdom of darkness, the devil. Those who are a part of God's kingdom will be judged as to whether or not their lives were worthwhile or worthless for the expansion of the reign of God through his renewed kingdom. Those who have lived worthwhile lives will be given crowns of glory that will be laid at the feet of Jesus. 
simultaneously the physical creation, including the bodies of God's people, will be renewed and glorified as God's people have already been renewed and glorified spiritually. All will be set right in God's creation. God will rule through his special acts of creation, humankind, who live in communion and subjection to him as his image bearers. Well, there you have it. Remember the pastor I spoke about back in episode 10? He told me he could say the gospel in 10 words. Well, that wasn't 10 words. What did you expect from Jimbo, huh? (laughs) Do you also remember when I spoke about how the culturized conventional church has so simplified the gospel that it has lost its reality, let alone its power? While there may be other ways to say what I just say, there is no doubt that this message is more in line with the gospel preached by Jesus, Paul, Peter, and the entire first century church. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead just does not cut it. Do you not believe me? Look at the results of the easy believism and its ugly stepsister, the I'll fly away mentality coming from that stripped down feckless gospel perpetuated by culturized conventional Christianity. I want to suggest that you get a copy of the transcript of this episode from the Hello Jimbo Speaking website at www.jimbospeaking.org. You can find it on the episode page under episode S1E20. I suggest this for two reasons. First, I would encourage you to break this gospel narrative down into sections to remember it more easily. Second, I would suggest you add scripture references throughout it for no other reason than to give yourself a better understanding of the narrative itself. Finally, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about my counting the cost questions. You will want a copy of those for your own use. Okay, okay, let's move on. I promised you two more important aspects of sharing the gospel of the kingdom with others. We have already touched on one of these, and we'll be studying the other more closely as we move forward in future episodes. So let's just scratch the surface today, shall we? I want to touch on a new topic with us, though I will be spending a few episodes on this topic before too long. The topic is community. This concept is an often overlooked aspect of sharing the gospel for those of us in Western society. Yet for those of us who do not read our Western American mindset into the New Covenant, it sticks out like a sore thumb. In our hyper-individualistic culture, we Americans fake community regularly. Now, I know for most of you that may sound offensive, but that's the first time you've been offended by anything I've had to say on this podcast, right? If all you have eaten is carrots your entire life, if I tell you that you are missing out on so many other types of food, you will look at me like I have a third eye. You see, in our culture, individuals come together in a community to meet their individual needs. In Eastern cultures, individuals identify by the community in which they belong and focus on meeting the community's needs, knowing that their own needs will be met as the community's needs are met. The question isn't which is better, East or West. The question is which is more in keeping with the teachings and commands of the New Covenant, the Constitution of the Kingdom of God. It doesn't take a PhD to recognize that the community-mindedness of Eastern and Mid-Eastern culture is more in line with the biblical record found in the New Covenant. This truth will always hold up unless you do as most Western Christians have done for centuries. We read our cultural values into the Bible rather than interpreting the Bible from the context in which it was written. Allow me to share one important fact that more than proves this point. In the New Covenant, when the Greek word translated you, psi, and its derivatives appear, they are in the plural form 65% of the time. When a Western-mindsetted person reads these, they think of the individual application. When those through whom and to whom the scriptures came wrote and read the plural forms of these Greek words, they thought in terms of community. 
What do you think is the most accurate understanding, the original mindset or the mindset that reads into and over the original understanding? But our problem with missing out on community-mindedness goes far beyond biblical interpretation. It goes against the very thing that Jesus said would be the impetus for sharing the gospel of the kingdom. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays his high priestly prayer before the beginning of his passion. Here's a part of that prayer pertinent to our discussion of community found in John 17, verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, just as, Father, you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, many human attempts have been made to bring oneness into the body of Christ. Every local congregation I have been a part of or have been familiar with for over 50 years struggles with what it means to be one. Then there are all those pesky one another passages full of commands that dictate the authentic look of Christian community. However, this passage speaks to why we, in our human understanding and processes, not only struggle but stand defeated in developing the oneness of Christian community. In this passage, Jesus makes it clear that the only way we will see authentic community in a gathering of his disciples is when we experience how we are all in the Father and the Son in the same way they are each in each other. We have recently learned that being one with someone is being so wholly joined with them that they are the one in which we find ourselves and the place we live and move and the one to whom our powers and influence are subject. Now, we can talk about this from a theological perspective, and in so doing, we often think we have what we think we understand. But get this, the oneness of the Father and the Son is the oneness of the Trinity. Talk about mystical. But Jesus prays that we will practically be in the Father and the Son in the same way they are in each other. If this does not have a practical implication, the Trinity has no practical application. But Jesus makes it clear there is a practical reality to this mystical reality. Here we see that we are invited into the community and communion of the Trinity as a community of people, not simply as individuals. That oneness is the basis of our oneness with one another. And the world will know Father sent Jesus as we together live out our communion with the persons of the Trinity as a manifestation of their reality and the kingdom of God. Christian community is mystical. It is miraculous. It goes far beyond even the Eastern concepts of community. This mysterious nature of communion and community is why the first communities of believers interacted with each other in the way they did and served as a testimony to the reality of what they said. Today, we live our Christian lives and run the church from a pure humanistic standpoint. Oh, we may pray from time to time, but live in that miraculous, mysterious nature of Christianity? Forget it. It does not fit our Western American culture, and we refuse to move from that big, comfortable chair of our native culture. Ever hear me say that one before? If a local community of Jesus' disciples continues with programmed Sunday morning worship, in the same way they continue with programmed ministry, community will never happen. We must set aside our programmed ways and live together in the reality of the organic community and communion we have with the Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. We must come together regularly, devoted to seeking Father together through spontaneous praise and thanksgiving, scripture reading, petition and intercession, and even times of quiet contemplation. No move of God ever started without such things, including the start of the church on Pentecost. 
What was the outcome of the disciples being devoted to waiting upon the Lord together before Pentecost? Just read the book of Acts. In there, look at how they continued to do the same even after the church was birthed. Are you willing to restructure your life to live the way they lived? Or are you going to continue in that big, comfortable chair called the American way of life? I got it. If you choose to continue to live that way, you could then tell people how impossible it is to live as the early church lived because it was the cultural way of the time. Not. But go ahead. You're in good company using that excuse. Oh, wait a minute. What did I tell you to tattoo on your mind? Oh, yes. No more excuses. Hmm. I've gotten farther into this than what I wanted. Here's the bottom line. Nothing will change if we keep living our individual lives and our lives together from a mere humanistic standpoint. People will never know that Father sent Jesus to establish His kingdom on this earth in this age if we do not give them the outward expression of our community and communion we experience with the persons of the Trinity. That, my friends, moves us from the rational and pragmatic into the spiritual realities many fear. There is one more area I will touch on, and yes, I mean touch on, before we move to what I think is the most important key to sharing the gospel of the kingdom. The second area is all about lifestyle. Now, we spent a whole episode, episode number 18, talking about how lifestyle is a much larger part of ministry than we focus on today. In fact, it is the heart and soul of authentic life and ministry. Well, we talk about the Christian and Christ-like lifestyle. But we have come up with a myriad of excuses why the lifestyle commanded by us in the New Covenant cannot happen today. We have come up with a myriad of excuses why the examples of the New Covenant cannot be the way we live our lives today. Greatest among these is the excuse based on the false teaching that we will never live the way we are expected to live, as testified to in the New Covenant, until Jesus returns. And that, my friends, is the ugliness of easy believism stepsister, the I'll fly away mentality. Do you want to get rid of those excuses? Go back and re-listen to the Gospel of the Kingdom narrative I shared earlier in this episode. Then, once you have that firmly fixed in your heart and mind, always remember that ministry is not so much what you say or do to people or for people, nor is it simply what we say to people. Christian life and ministry are, at their heart, who we are with people. But this goes one step further. Man, Jimbo, when are you going to stop pushing? The answer to that, my friends, is when I see these things happening. So, what is the one step further when it comes to lifestyle? I have just touched on it. When we, from a hyper-individualistic mindset of the American culture, hear someone talk about lifestyle, we always put it into an individual framework. We think about how we, as an individual, are doing. Okay, okay, more than likely we think more about all the other individuals and how they are doing. But remember, if your life is not lived in the mystical, miraculous realities of what the New Covenant speaks of when it speaks of authentic community, you are not living as a disciple of Jesus. Lifestyle is more about us as a community than us as individuals. In fact, I have written elsewhere that without authentic community, there can be no authentic spiritual growth. Without authentic spiritual growth, there can be no authentic community. Without living in and experiencing communion with the persons of the Trinity, both as individuals and as a community, neither authentic community nor authentic spiritual growth can occur. Okay, okay, now we will really get down to the nitty-gritty of becoming and making authentic disciples of Jesus the kingdom way. Now we will really get down to the nitty-gritty of how to share the gospel of the kingdom. 
every time someone came to Jesus and asked him if they could be his disciple, he did not make it easy for them. He either hit them over the head with a counting the cost question or made a difficult statement that would cause them to count the cost of following him. Why did Jesus do such a thing? Jesus was not looking for people who wanted to be saved so they could be in a relationship with him and go to heaven someday when they die. As we learned in the Gospel of the Kingdom narrative, he was looking for people who wanted to be so wholly joined to him in such a way that he was the one in whom they lived and moved and the one to whom their powers and influence is subject. In other words, he was looking for disciples. Jesus was looking for people willing to be God's image bearers. He knew active faith and repentance would drive them to obedience if active faith and repentance were part of these people's lives. He knew this would be true no matter what the cost. Jesus had brought the kingdom of God. In a few short months, he was going to once and for all establish the kingdom on this earth for all eternity. He was looking for people who wanted to live humankind's original calling as God's image bearers through living in communion with him and living in subjection to all he commanded. We see how Jesus, with even those who were following him, would pull them close and then make hard statements that would cause them to want to leave. And remember, many did leave. Now, Jesus knew the hearts of each person that came to him and spoke to him. He knew the one area that would have the greatest pull that would keep them from a life of communion and obedience, allowing them to serve in his kingdom as God's image bearers. I have, on occasion, been able by God's grace to see that area in a person's life who has asked me how to become a disciple of Jesus. However, more often than not, I have found using the following counting the cost questions very helpful in uncovering that area or areas in the person's life. So, I want to share these questions with you. Before I do, I want to make a few things clear. I always make sure that the person understands the kingdom of God gospel narrative before asking them this whole set of questions. As the Spirit gives opportunity, as I share part or all of the gospel narrative, I talk about each of these counting the cost areas throughout our relationship. Very rarely has the entire gospel narrative or all six sets of questions been asked all at once until a person thinks they are ready to become Jesus' disciple. Second, it is imperative that whether the person answers your question with a yes or a no, that you ask them to explain what they mean by that answer. You will hear this as I share these questions with you. Their explanation will always allow you to see whether or not they misunderstood this area or whether they just do not want to follow Jesus in this area. It is also imperative if a person gets hung up on one of these areas that we don't walk away from them and leave them in the dust. You have built a relationship with them because they are worth knowing, not just to share the gospel of the kingdom with them. Remember episode 18? It is equally important that if they get hung up on one of these questions, you write the question down for them and set a time to get back together within 24 to 48 hours. If they are still hung up, just spend time with them and let them continue to see the reality of God's kingdom in your life. In other words, continue the blessed lifestyle the Spirit produces in your life as a true disciple of Jesus. Finally, If all you do is listen to these questions from the perspective of sharing the gospel of the kingdom with someone, you lose. That's right. Today, you must hear these questions as if Jesus is asking them of you. Once again, be sure to go to the Hello Jimbo Speaking website at www.jimbospeaking.org. Go to the episode page and then to episode S1E20. Download the transcript and go over these questions until you can say yes to each of them without reservation, without deception, without excuse, and without any concern for the consequences. 
If you can't do that, you have no business speaking to anyone about becoming a disciple of Jesus. Why? You need to become a disciple of Jesus yourself. Too harsh? Sorry, but if truth hurts, it must be dealt with through repentance, active faith, and identification with Jesus through water baptism. So, with all that said, if you are still with me, here are the questions. Ready to have your world turned inside out and upside down? Do you realize that there is nothing you can do to earn your relationship with God? Jesus paid it all. Yet this new relationship will bring you into a radical dynamic lifestyle change as you enter a covenant relationship with God. This relationship with God will make you a citizen of God's kingdom and you'll be expected to live by his new standard of life. Do you understand this? Please talk with me about what that means to you. Do you realize you will move over a deep divide that will separate you from your old way of living? Do you realize even the key premises of your present cultural norms will change when you become a citizen of God's kingdom? Do you realize that you will become a member of God's kingdom and must give your soul undivided allegiance only to Him and His kingdom purposes? Do you understand this? Please talk to me about what that means to you. Do you realize relationships change when you enter this covenant relationship with God and become a citizen of His kingdom? Do you realize that this divide will separate you from many of your old friends, even many of your family members? Do you understand this? Please talk to me about what that means to you. Do you realize the way you treat people will be different once you cross this divide and become a member of God's kingdom? Do you realize you will no longer focus on your needs, but the needs of others? Do you realize you will no longer come first in your life, but God and all others will come before you? Do you understand this? Please, talk to me about what this means to you. Do you realize that you must lay down your own wants, desires, comforts, dreams, wishes, and purposes in making this covenant with God and becoming a part of His kingdom? Do you realize you will exchange these things for obedient servanthood to God's purposes, desires, and will? Do you realize this will happen even if it means extreme self-sacrifice? Do you understand this? Please talk to me about what this means to you. Are you ready to enter the covenant of salvation with God, becoming a disciple of Jesus, living in His kingdom by His new cultural standards? Are you ready to forfeit your allegiance to all the kingdoms of this world and give your wholehearted allegiance to the kingdom of God and the same wholehearted allegiance to Jesus as your Lord? Are you ready to obey all He commanded you to do through the new covenant found in the Bible without excuse, reservation, or concern for the consequences? Are you ready to move from the alienation and wrath of God into a new life as God's child, focused solely on living obediently to His purpose in community with Him and His people? Are you ready to cross the great divide? Great. First, talk to me about what this means to you. Then you can talk to God about what you have just decided. Oh, and by the way, please allow me to listen into that conversation. Once this happens, you can be baptized as Jesus' disciple, identifying solely with him and his kingdom, telling the world you belong solely to Jesus Christ. Well, the clock has ticked away past our endpoint, and I know that was a lot of ground to cover. I also know it may sound strange if you have grown up in the conventional culturized church with its emphasis on easy believism and its ugly stepsister, the I'll fly away mentality. 
So let me finish by reminding you that this Sunday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, the conversation continues. My good friend and co-host, Joe Heim, and I will have another live broadcast of the Digging Deeper Cafe. Here we will be joined by either Dr. James Randolph of Advancing Christ Kingdom Global Ministries or Kevin Berkey of Mulberry Tree Ministries in Coutts, Indiana. They will be asking me questions about this Inside Jimbo's Head segment and bring their unique commentaries. And yes, we look forward to your questions and comments as well. In fact, it is your questions and comments that are the reason for the live broadcast. So come to the Hello Jimbo Speaking Facebook page or the Hello Jimbo Speaking YouTube channel this Sunday at 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and join us. If you are listening to this podcast after it first drops, you can find the video of the Digging Deeper Cafe on the Hello Jimbo Speaking website at www.jimbospeaking.org. You can find a lot more on that site as well. One last thing. While you are listening, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Consider becoming a support partner at either the $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99 monthly level, or make a larger monthly or one-time support gift at the Hello Jimbo Speaking webpage at www.jimbospeaking.org. So, until Sunday and the Digging Deeper Cafe, or the next episode of the Hello Jimbo Speaking Podcast, go out there and by God's grace, make it a great life that honors and glorifies Father through the faith that produces obedience. Do not settle for anything less. Why? Father settles for nothing less. See you next time. Hey, it's Riri coming back at you. Before we sign off, I have just a few announcements. Please subscribe to this podcast today and become a part of the Jimbo Nation by setting up a monthly donation of only 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Remember, 100% of these funds go to support Jimbo's ministry with disconnected, higher-risk youth. So, even though Jimbo doesn't ask for a lot, every penny you donate goes to help turn a young person's world inside out and upside down. And maybe, just maybe, help them find new life as a disciple of Jesus. And don't forget Sunday's Digging Deeper Inside Jimbo's Head live broadcast, where you can bring your questions and comments from this episode's Inside Jimbo's Head teaching. You can find Jimbo and his friends on the Hello Jimbo Speaking Facebook page or the Hello Jimbo Speaking YouTube channel. Finally, please don't forget that next week, Jimbo will be back with another story from the front lines of ministry, a one-minute laugh with a punch skit from Frontline Productions, and the continuation of this great teaching series. So, until tomorrow. Wee, 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 wee. Thank you for the talk. But can Haha sign off today? Sure, girlfriend. Go for it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, goodbye.